Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Rich Dalton, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man, you're uh, out in California. I'm in uh, Virginia right now. And we connected through my wife's childhood, very good, if not best friend, uh, Sharon Swartz at the time growing up. She's now Sharon Ivy. Sharon is a massive fan of, of you, and she's a massive fan of this podcast. I don't know what that means about you or me, Rich, but she's a big fan uh, of the podcast and you. And she couldn't wait uh, to tell me about it. And I said, absolutely, let's, let's get um, Rich on the podcast you and I had a chance to chat for 45 minutes or so, I guess, two or three weeks ago. I learned a lot more about you, but I think there's a lot more to explore. Uh, and so you and I just chatted before uh, the recording started. We're going to uh, maybe do three or four episodes with you. And we're definitely going to do at least three. It might turn into four. You've you've lived a life that uh, some aspects of your life I can uh, appreciate because I've experienced similar things. But most of your life experiences I, I can't relate to, uh, but, I, but I'll try to relate to it as best I can, even though I haven't been th- through those experiences. With that being said, what's going on with you now? Now, uh, well, like you said, I, I live in California, uh, Oceanside, to be exact. Um, uh, wow, what's going on with me now? Oh, I, I just started uh, teaching karate uh, at, a, uh, at a karate school, even though I don't know karate, so that's a whole long story, but MMA is my background, um, mixed martial arts and things of that nature. So coaching kids, you know, has also been my background. So giving back is kind of what I've, I've been wanting to do and, and, and especially things that I'm passionate about. I've been helping out the homeless um, as much as I can, you know, usually about, you know, two, two, two three times a week as well, as well as several other clients, um, personal clients that I have that are going, you know, battling homelessness and addiction. Um, so when you talk about clients, Rich, um, you're you're an independent person that's providing uh, effectively free or very cheap um, coaching advice. I mean, how how does that work as it relates to somebody who's experiencing homelessness and and, and obviously I, I I would think trying to get out of that situation. Uh, so yes, I I have uh, I don't. Probably about 15 or 20 clients, um, you know, some that are battling homelessness, you know, some addictions, you know, some, you know, Lyme disease. Some are um, unofficial clients, some are official clients. Um, but my background as well was also in personal training. I've been doing that for about 20, something, about 20 years or so. And so that's where it started with when I moved back to, when I moved back to Oceanside from Orange County, I, I'd been up there for about a year, uh, or excuse me, about two and a half years, excuse me. Right? And I've been back down here for a year. And so when I first came down here, that was what I was trying to do was, was just do the fitness aspect with everybody. And then during my journey of recovery from homelessness and addiction myself, I've been doing a lot of stuff, uh, especially homeopathic stuff, breath work, cold exposure, um, just, you know, fasting, things outside the box. And, uh, I wanted to share that with as many people as I could. I, you know, I, I definitely feel like that was what helped cure me from all my ailments to include addiction and homelessness and, and things and many other things. Yeah. I, that's a brilliant explanation. Um, I can imagine 
you have gotten to a place where you have had so many varying experiences, some intentional, some not intentional, um, that you know how to live a very healthy day these days. So can you talk through what um, a, a last Wednesday was like for you or, or, or even today was like for you, what, what you did? Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Um, I've made a lot of, a lot, a lot of changes in my life, you know, and one of the things I realized was attachments to things. Um, obviously, the bigger things, drugs, alcohol, food, sex, women, relationships, you know, those are things I kind of uh, cut the attachment on um, over the last few years, but more so recently, even smaller things, such as, you know, where I'm living, such as my cell phone, such as money and things of that nature. Uh, you know, I really, I haven't had a place of my own per se for the last almost five years. Um, right now I, 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 you know, I just, where, wherever, yeah, the last two days I went camping, um, slept in the back of a car last night and then, you know, on the, on the floor or on the ground the day before, um, be, you know, before that, I, you know, I'd stay at my work or, you know, uh, or at a friend's house, no, not a friend's house, but, you know, going, going places, you know, going to local trips here and there to the mountains, um, to, you know, Vegas for a wrestling tournament and things of that nature. But, you know, as far as my, the last couple of weeks with me starting with, or last couple of months with me starting with the karate, my day starts usually about five in the morning. For some reason, I only, you know, sleep about five hours every day now. I feel absolutely great. Wake up. I start my day from there and then, um, you know, usually do some kind of stretching, some meditation, things of that nature. The first 30 minutes, maybe an hour of the day, I, I try to make sure that I, there's certain things I get every single day, such as sun, fresh air, um, some kind of nature. I, I fast every day, usually till six, seven, eight at night, but every once in a while I'll have lunch as well. But usually I only eat once one meal a day and then, um, and then usually teaching karate or things of that nature as well as helping with clients. And uh, maybe listen to a couple podcasts or, or motivational, not necessarily motivational, but just um, stories and things that will help me learn on, on the phone or read or, or things of that nature. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got a lot of variation from day to day or week to week, but you've got some things that you, you feel like you, you really need to do to stay healthy, whether that's physical or mental health. Yes. Probably about two years ago, I started this program that I now call the Power of Three. Um, I started developing it like six months ago, but I kind of put it put it to the side for now. Um, and what that was, was me specifically, you know, again, intentionally going out of my way to make sure that I got certain things done every single day. And I just started with very small steps, which was, you know, three minutes, that's where the power of three came from, whether it's three repetitions or three minutes. So every single day I make sure that I work out every single day. I get sun every single day. I get nature every, you know, or something within nature. I try to get some kind of cold exposure or heat exposure every single day, meditation, breath work every single day, um, stretching every single day and, and just building consistency off that. And, and in the beginning I was looking for freedom and, and what I ended up finding was discipline and then mm. discipline brought me to that freedom that I was speaking out. Yeah. And you're, I would, would think based on our previous conversation um, and this conversation, you're in the best place 
you've been in your life. Oh, without a doubt. I, 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 this version of me has never existed before. Um, physically, mentally, I'm, I'm not joking when I say I look in the mirror a lot of times and I don't recognize myself. You know, uh, I, I, not only from my skin color, because I, I go out in the sun every single day, you know, so, you know, sometimes for two, three, four, five hours. Um, and, you know, so I try to get as much sun exposure every single day. Um, I, I've lost somewhere around 105 pounds over the last four years. But even prior to that, I'd always been up and down on my weight. So as an adult, I've been as low as 178 and as high as 305. And I've been up and down, you know, hundreds of times. And, and I, I've, that, that was my biggest addiction with food and, and battling that body dysmorphia. And, and just most of it was in my head. Whereas I finally got to a place right now where I'm happy and, and content with with who I am. Well, discipline leads to freedom. Freedom leads to contentment. Sure. All right. So let's go back to the, uh, the beginning. Where, where are you from? So I was born in Woodhaven, Queens, New York. Um, I, I lived there, lived in an apartment until I think I was about three or four, then moved to a house for another year or two. And then, uh, and then when I was six, we moved up to Massachusetts. And, uh, and were you moving around with a parent's uh, employment? Um, so I, I, we moved from the apartment to the house. I think, you know, that's when, you know, my dad started um, making some money, I guess. Um, you know, I, to be honest, not too sure. Um, and then from there, from New York to Massachusetts, because my dad had gotten, well, the story I was given was that, you know, he'd gotten a job up there and he was going to school up there. From what I understand, he was living up there for, for the, the last year while we were in New York and he would, he would go up there and go to school or work or something like that. And then come down on the weekends. And I'll be honest, I don't really remember that, but supposedly for a year, he'd stay up there from Sunday to Thursday and then come down each weekend until we moved up there. And then we moved up there, like I said, when I was about six and then about six months later, he uh, committed suicide. And uh, I mean, obviously to a six year old that had to feel like, I, well, you tell me what you, you have memories of what that felt like or what you were thinking back then? To be honest, no. Um, I didn't find out that he committed suicide until I think fourth grade. Um, I was just told at first that he slipped and fell and the gun went off and he accidentally shot himself while he was cleaning it. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I have very small pictures of my, you know, I remember being downstairs I remember looking up the stairs from the basement and seeing uh, grocery bags and and either yellow or red pants. So I'm, I'm you know, but I don't even know if these are my memories or these are memories that were implanted, you know, based on what everybody told me. So that's kind of what I remember, you know. And and then I kind of remember the ambulance driving off with him, and then I remember um, being at his wake and my mom trying to get me to kiss him and and, and me being adamant against doing that. And, uh, and that's, you know, really the only picture I have of him in my, in my face. I don't remember. I have no memories of, you know, visual memories of him in my mind. Yeah. The, the mind's a funny thing, right? Memories can be perfectly accurate or they can be pretty darn inaccurate. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. So you, you don't have a good or bad memory of your, of your dad other than obviously uh, him taking his own life. And, and to your point, 
you're not sure how much of it is your actual memory or you're putting things together from what you were being told. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, no, no bad memories. I, yeah. I, I kind of have memories of being at the park with him one time, um, the circus, but that was my mom telling me about that. So I don't actually remember that. And then I remember playing table tennis with him or ping pong when he was in a mental health hospital, you know, just probably about a month or two before he took his life. But even that I'm, I'm still unsure about because then I talked to somebody that was very close to our family that, you know, said that they didn't know that he was in a hospital, you know? And so then I'm like, was he in a hospital? I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. So, you know, but uh, yeah. Who's still, who's still around in your family that would have memories from back then? Um, a few people, not too many. And, 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 and most people don't want to talk about it. Um, I've reached out to my dad's sister, um, two of two of sisters from one, one I've understand it, that she's in a, a bad state in a, in a hospital. I, you know, I haven't talked to anybody like, you know, and then my other aunt, uh, when I reached out to her a couple of times, um, over the last few years, her response was that he was a good man, but she, she didn't know him very well. And then I've reached out to a couple other cousins and, you know, and, and most of them say the same thing, you know, my cousin Sharon and, you know, he's a good man. He's funny. And, and nobody else seems to really know much. You know, that's really all I've gotten. <laughs> well, you, uh, you mentioned Sharon. Sharon, I guess, was uh, she is seven years older than you, roughly. Something yeah, right? Yes. I believe yeah. And so she had a, she had a good friend growing up who I ended up marrying. Hey, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be really loud. Richie, sorry. She just blew your eardrops out. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful. How are you? I love the color of your back wall. I don't know if Paul's mentioned that his favorite color it is It is my orange. favorite color, yes. <laughs> is it? Yeah. It's all good. Is, yeah. uh, Motel 6 at its finest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, uh, you, you'll have another two or three opportunities, Lisa, to see Rich, because I'm going to do multiple episodes with it. But I thought oh, that's you, cool. you would enjoy seeing each other. I just came in to give him a thumbs up to say, how are things going? But it's good <laughs> to see good. you. You as well. All right. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I, I, I couldn't resist. That's the second time I've allowed uh, somebody to come in and do that. Oh, no. It was actually her no, the last no time, too. It was another New Jersey guy. Oh, nice. Uh, he might know Joe Carroll. Apparently, you might know Joe Carroll. Uh, I know friend, the name. He's a restaurateur in uh, in the city. Yeah, I know the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's but he's also, I think, seven years older than you. All right. Yeah, so, we have a very small town, so. You know, those, those names are, are usually pretty easy to come by. So uh, to that point, uh, your your dad is gone now, and your mom has to make do with you, and you have one sister? Yeah. At the time, that's all I knew about. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we lived there for another two years because they just bought the house. Um, and then from there, we moved to Florida. We lived in Florida for a year. Uh, and then from there, moved – to New Jersey, to Dumont, and moved in with my Aunt Julie, which is my mom's uh, sister-in-law. Her, her, her husband was my mom's brother. He passed away three months after my dad died. And that's uh, Sharon and Michelle's mom. And so we ended up moving in there. So I was in fifth grade at that time. And, and the three of us moved in with them. Let's go back to all those places you stopped. Um, 
I'm sorry, where did you stop after Massachusetts? New York? Florida. Florida, sorry. So do you have memories of Florida? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's when the Depression started kicking in. Um, you know, I, I had good memories of, 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 you know, playing with friends and doing a lot of fun things when I lived in Massachusetts. I have very few memories of my mom, which makes sense. Um, and... and, and fourth grade I, I just remember you know a lot more memories of my mom because we were you know doing things together a lot I didn't know any you know I didn't have any friends there you know when we first moved there we lived with one of my other aunts for a little bit and then we moved in with uh family friends after that and so for the most part I think I, I played two sports you know I'd always been into sports so but I, I just that's when I started you know started withdrawing and, and being an introvert and uh and just, you know, being the new person, I, that, I guess that's how I felt. And then when I moved to Jersey, that's kind of, I took on that role again. Yeah. I mean, it, being an introvert, it's interesting. Some people would argue you're, you're born either an introvert or an extrovert. Uh, others would argue it's uh, environmental. Um, my guess is you're naturally an extrovert, but you were put in so many um, short lived temporary sort of situations. You, you didn't have time to, to show your true self, at least in Florida. Yeah, that's funny you said that. I, I, I'd agree because I, I, don't, I don't remember being introverted at all when I was in Massachusetts. We, we were always out playing in the woods and doing things and, and collecting cans and bottles and, and exploring. And then uh, fourth grade, I don't really remember. I explored around the complex I lived in, so I was always collecting animals, snakes, lizards, uh, you know, turtles, things of that nature because we lived right next to a canal. Um, and then, uh, once I got to Jersey in, in fifth grade, uh, I was the new kid and then sixth grade another school merged with our school. So again, I kind of felt like the new kid again. And then two years later we go to a high school and that school, you know, and, it, and mind you, this is my mindset. This is how I felt. And, and I, you know, I didn't have the opportunity or didn't know, or, or wasn't ever explained to me that I can just kind of switch my mind, you know, set. And obviously it's not that easy, you know, the snap of a, a finger, but I just kept following that. And, and don't get me wrong. I, you know, I had friends and, and I was kind of in the middle of the pack. I played sports so that I, I knew people do that. And, but I had, you know, just a couple of friends, about three friends for the most part, you know, through most of my time there and, and, and a couple other friends here and there that would kind of come and go or they'd move or things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically didn't have a, uh, to use your, term a, a blood male relative after the age of what six or seven yeah yeah i, I had i had some uh um cousins um but, you know but they all they all lived in uh other states i have two male cousins that were m around my age um that lived in pennsylvania um but as far as a father figure no um you know i had i had two um father figures you know uncles that i would see once or twice a year that were cops in in new york and so that was kind of why i ended up going you know i believe why i went into law enforcement um but i you know I, and then my friend's dad he, he was also a cop and he was kind of a father figure to me as well but and, and when i say that father figure I, I say it pretty loosely it was um as much as they could and like i said you know i i'd only saw my two uncles two maybe three times a year 
And looking back now, I realize how difficult that must have been to handle. So I can imagine them not, you know, they had kids of their own. And, and I, I just remember, I, yeah, I, yeah I, was, I must have been a handful for my mom and everybody else. If, if you were nine or 10 years old now and you had experienced what you had the first nine or 10 years of your life, I think the approach, and given the fact that you didn't have any consistent father figures after the age of six and a half, seven, I imagine the approach would have been fairly different because uh, the world really didn't have a, a sense of a holistic approach to help a kid that was that had experienced what you experienced. You were left just to kind of uh, like get bounced around and what ended up happening ended up happening. And I will say that in your formative years and the fact that the male brain doesn't fully form until you're 25, th there was, there were a lot of things that impacted you that I imagine you grappled with some of it, maybe most of it, but there's still things that you're, you're, you're grappling with because you didn't get the, uh, the right holistic attention as a child. Yeah, I would agree. And, and to add on to that, um, my mom never did either, nor did my sister nor did anybody in my family. And then I move in with my two cousins and my aunt and, and, and they're not, you know, getting that either. You know, they, they, they lost their father. And so they're not getting any kind of therapy or any kind of help or assistance. Um, my mom never went to therapy. I, I went to therapy in, I think it was seventh and eighth grade for about a year, year and a half. Oh, wow. And that was, um, that was, I think, cause my, my, you know, my mom had absolutely, you know, no, I, I was, getting into fights a lot and detention and, and things of that nature, because I just felt like I didn't fit in and, and I was really pushing back towards her. And, and, and I, I think she just, you know, had her hands tied, but looking back, I, I realized my mom never got any therapy. We never talked about this. None of these things were ever talked about. I, I don't, like I said, you know, these memories of my dad, just, again, he was never talked about. We, I, and, and then, once I had found out that he committed suicide and then by the time I went to therapy, my therapist convinced me that it was, I used to blame everybody else, God. And, and then my therapist, you know, in, in my mind at the time, my therapist convinced me that it was his fault and to blame him. So then from there, I took it upon myself to absolutely hate him and anybody else that committed suicide and, and, and had depression and, and anybody that tried to tell me differently, I, I would, you know, we'd be fighting. I, I was, adamant about how big of a coward and, and a, uh, you know, how, how weak he was. I, and I was just very adamant about that. And then I, I, I started pushing back on my mom about that as well. And, 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 and it, you know, I, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I have my own thoughts on suicide and I, I think the answer that I've come to now is every situation is different. It's very, very complicated. Um, th there are certainly negative uh, aspects of that person when they were alive that led in part uh, to them ending their own lives. But yeah, your dad's situation is extremely unique. And um, I, I don't think it, it would help you to understand why at this point, like it, it's kind of a binary thing. He did it and, 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 and you are who you are now. You're right. And uh, and as I'm sure we'll get into later, when I was in the middle of my addiction and homelessness, you know, uh, three, four years back, the idea of death and killing myself and dying was on my mind regularly. And, and so that helped me connect 
with him. Uh, I finally forgave him out loud, probably about, I think I was about 34, 35. It was, in, 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 you know, right after my divorce and my custody battle. And, 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 and I remember my ex withheld uh, my, my middle son, Jacob, from me for a couple months. And uh, I just remember how much that destroyed me and how upset I was. And, and that's what made, helped me realize how severe depression is. And mind you, on, on a side note, I had never thought I had depression. I had been told since I was a kid, I was just, I was just an angry boy, you know, and, and it was just constantly, well, you know, he, he lost his dad, so he's just angry. And that was what was told to me over and over again. And I joined the Marine Corps and then, you know, became a cop, you know, so the idea of depression or PTSD, not only was that never said to me, but I didn't want to admit that because then there's a possibility I could lose my job or I couldn't carry a gun or, you know, and then, then the whole idea of, you know, that I'm not a real man, uh, society, you know, has these standards for, you know, and, and in my mind, I, I can't be depressed. I can't have PTSD. I can't, I might lose this. I might lose that. I might not be able to do this. I might not be able to, you know, so I went the opposite way and, and to try to prove how big of a, big and strong a man I was. And that's kind of where I think I gravitated towards when it came to sports and wrestling and martial arts and law enforcement, and the Marine Corps. Yeah. You, you, society was telling you to be tough and, uh, suck it up and don't have emotions. Uh, and if you do have emotions, it's, uh, it's to try to harm others through, uh, physical sports. Uh, and I, I will say he's an angry kid is not a diagnosis. It wasn't back then. It's, uh, certainly wouldn't be sufficient these days. Yeah. But when you were a kid, I, I don't know that the world was talking about PTSD. I don't even know if it had become uh, a standard diagnosis for folks. And, and you're right. And, and I'll be honest, I couldn't even admit to that till a couple of years ago, because even, even when I was trying to get help with the VA, I did, again, I was afraid that if I said I had PTSD and they look into it and find out my debt, you know, then they could take away my, my benefits and, and things, you know, so it was just a constant. And that was what I realized is probably since the age of seven or uh, maybe, maybe nine. And I think the biggest thing that changed is I started living my life out of fear. I don't remember being in fear in first, second, third grade. In fourth, you know, you know, I don't be, remember being afraid of meeting new people. I don't be, remember afraid of, you know, climbing the tree too high. I, I just don't remember any of those fears. And then all of a sudden in fourth grade, that's what I feel like took over. And the fear, you know, just fear of everything. Fear <laughs> or, or uncertainty. What, what led to that culmination of you going from a fairly exploratory kind of kid to a kid who just uh, was afraid to do anything because it might end up with a bad outcome. You know, maybe it was, uh, you know, because Massachusetts was my home, you know, in a sense, even though I loved New York, I only went to school there for, you know, for kindergarten and the first through third grade. And I had some really good friends there. So maybe up and up and moving um, sporadically as well as right around at that time is when I found out that, my dad committed suicide because, you know, I think I said prior to that, I, I was just told he, you know, slipped and the gun went off. Um, and then just the moving around and, again, the uncertainty of where we're going to live. And, and so because we when we were in, in, in Florida, we, we kind of lived in three different places. Um, and then on top of that, I, I don't know if my mom worked much in Massachusetts because she was trying to take care of us and. I don't think she was, you know, mentally capable at the time. 
well, we moved down to Florida. I, I don't. I think she might have found some part-time work, but we only lived there for a year. So I know she was just, you know, really scraping by, and then she ended up getting a job at a bank, you know, and, and she was probably working there. Well, she worked there for quite some time, but I remember, I think I was around 18 when I found out that she, she was making around $11 an hour. And I think that's that. I'm like, I thought I grew up in this middle-class household, and I look back, I'm like, we should have been on food stamps and 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 any and all kind of help possible. But my mom was too proud and, and she used her credit card for everything and, and made sure that we got everything we wanted for the most part. And, and the sense spoiled us. And I, and I walked around with this entitled state of mind because every, you know, especially once I turned 12 or 13, everybody was afraid of me. I, I lived with five other women. And, and as I hit puberty, I'm sure, you know, which makes me think that my dad was, you know, probably had an angry side too. Well, obviously he must've because he committed suicide and depression there with depression linked it and, and uh, attached to anger and, and all kinds of other things. But that's the, you know what? Okay. Let me, let me go back to answer your question. That's around the time that I really started to hate myself. So I remember fifth grade spending a lot of time in my room, punching, punching the walls, banging my head against the walls, putting holes in the door and just thinking about dying and, and cursing God off, um, hating myself. And that's when I started gaining the weight. You know, I, I gained the weight in fourth grade, you know, a little bit of weight in fourth grade. In the fifth grade, you know, I, I started getting even chubbier. And, and and that's where I think the food addiction started. Yeah, I, I'm not going to try to unpack all of that. We, we certainly aren't going to be able to do that in the confines of a podcast. But um, I so your anger and I, and I'm, I'm, I don't think. Your anger led to sports like wrestling. Did you? And you mentioned you played another sport. I think growing up. Oh yeah, uh, baseball, soccer, football. You, you played a bunch of sports. Type. A lot of physical yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's because you you wanted to put your anger on somebody else, get it out effectively, or um, not intentionally, but but I, I was a huge pro wrestling fan, and, and um, uh, by no means am I proud or happy to say that but my sister was my wrestling dummy a lot and i took it out on her and 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 i you know i physically hurt her you know you know never you know i don't want to say it wasn't intentional but it was but it was just enough just to again it was just me trying to get attention i, I never broke her arm or did and things like that but it was enough to, to to piss her off or upset her you know to get my mom to yell and and, and that's all my mom would do is come down and yell at me send me to my room and just, i just don't remember ever talking about this we just you know, I just don't remember ever having a conversation. You know, I, what's going on? What's, what's, I didn't remember spending a lot of time in my room by myself with a lot of loud music or video games and, and just – and not unpacking anything, these things, you know. Yeah, you're, you're, you just kept packing it tighter and tighter, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. You know, and just the anger, just the rage just grew more and more and more. Your sister older or younger than you? She's younger. She's three years younger. Okay. I will tell you that, uh, I mean, pro wrestling, it's, it's entertainment if, if you're into that sort of thing. I, I had a pro wrestler back from my childhood on that it's, it's entertaining to mention just because you brought it up. Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, do you, are you old enough to remember him? Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Valiant? Was, was, Jimmy, the, Valiant was the, Jimmy Valiant was his wrestling name, and he is okay. nicknamed the Boogie Woogie Man. Okay, yeah, I, I remember Jimmy Valiant. 
Yeah. Anyway, I, wow. I, I got, he's 81 now. I, got, I had a chance to – or no, he's going to turn oh, wow. month. I had a chance to talk to him. He, he was a trip. And it's definitely entertainment. Oh, yeah. It's not the kind of wrestling you were doing in school, I imagine. No. And and what's funny, when I first moved there in fifth grade, Sharon was trying to get me to try out for the wrestling team because she was, you know, one of the mat maids for the high school team. And she's like, you love this wrestling stuff. what You know, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, I wanted to, you know, sounded great. But I was in fifth grade, and I'm thinking to myself, well, all these kids have been doing this in first grade. I'm going to be way behind. So I, I didn't. And then instead, I wait till the middle of my sophomore year when the guy at my weight class um, it, it leaves in the middle of the season. And that's when I tried out for the team. Well, I didn't try out for the team. <laughs> they had an open spot, and they needed somebody to fill the spot. So, And, and I will say wrestling really changed my life. Re- wrestling helped me with a lot of confidence and, and control a lot of that anger. Uh, wrestling's pretty big in New Jersey, right? Yeah, oh, it's huge, yes. Why, why is it so big in New Jersey? Good, good question. I don't, um, I don't know. Um, just, you know, it's just a, a blue-collar sport, and, and, and yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it seems to be real big in, in that area, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey. Yeah, pretty, you know, pretty blue-collar blue in Northern Virginia. What's that? I was going to say pretty blue-collar places. Northern Virginia, not so blue-collar. Well, it was blue-collar back when you were growing up, but it's no, definitely not Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. It's definitely not now. All right, so wrestling really <laughs> became a thing you could uh, really get into, and it sounds like it, it, it helped a bit. Oh, gosh, yeah. It, it, it definitely, you know, it, it allowed me, it, you know, it gave me a huge outlet, and and it wasn't just practice, you know, Monday through Friday and the matches. It was also trying to make weight, and it was also conditioning. And, and me feeling this need to catch up to everybody else. So I was running on my own and going to the gym on my own, which I didn't really do that with other sports. So I really feel like I was able to, um, you know, fully merge myself into it and, and, and make it a lifestyle rather than just a sport. And I think that's what helped me so much. Yeah. Uh, what's the movie? Vision Quest with, uh, what was his name? Matt Modine. I, I, wrestling yeah. has that effect on a lot of people, man. Like they, they, they want to be that's a perfect like, example. Yeah. And you, and you, it sounds like for part of your childhood, you, you were living that life at least. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. What's, what's the craziest but, thing you've ever done to cut? Go ahead. Finish. Your, oh, just to cut weight. Yeah. Gosh. Ooh, uh. Um, I never did anything crazy. Um, you know, sauna, sauna, you know, but I was, you know, losing 20, 25 pounds, you know, in a week on average, you know, um, but I always had, you know, plenty of extra body fat at the time. So it really wasn't anything, you know, I didn't have to do anything too, too crazy, but you know, losing eight, 10, 12 pounds, you know, in a practice. Yeah. I mean, a lot, most of that's water, right? You're, you're burning, you're burning calories. Uh, you're, you're perspiring water. Uh, I, I guess you're burning fat as well. Um, at some level, uh, but the wrestlers I knew they, they would put gum in to have something to taste, but they wouldn't swallow. Uh, they're wearing so they clothes that you could be wearing in the fall. I mean, just crazy stuff to me. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'd go to practice with t shirts and shorts on, sauna suit on top of that, and a sweatshirt and sweatpants on that. And then our room, we'd have the heat up to about 85. And, and about halfway through the practice, I'd take off the, you know, 
the, the, the sauna suit and the shirt and shorts I could literally wring out. They, they were, you know, and, and on average I was, I was losing about eight to 10 pounds, you know, each practice. And, and that was without really trying too, too hard. And you were weighing in uh, the beginning of practice and the end of practice. Oh, of course. oh yeah. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes in the middle, a couple of times too. And so how much would your weight fluctuate in a week? Like 20, high to low? Uh, 15 to 20 pounds. Wow. What weight class did you wrestle at? Uh, 189. And, and then uh, my senior year, they dropped 189 down to 185. And then they added a 215. So I was back and forth between 185 and 215, wherever I had the opportunities. So you were one of the bigger guys. Yeah. And then heavy weight, heavy weight um, here and there, but mostly uh, 185 and 215. And you wrestled through your senior year? Yes. Yeah. My senior year, I, I was the captain. And that's a third in our district. Okay. So you had a pretty good record. That was decent. I was, you know, 14 and six that year, which, you know, for me, that was huge because my sophomore year, when I first started, I was 0 and six. I, I didn't make it out of the first period until my last match, you know, and, and that was a guy that was two weight classes below me. And, uh, and then my junior year, I was six and 10. And then my senior year. Yeah. I mean, it up a bit. You, you proved to yourself that you could get to a, a record like 14 and six, which is a really good record. And, uh, you, you tested yourself in ways that you probably couldn't imagine when you were a freshman in high school. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, are, are wrestlers pretty tight with each other? Oh, yeah. 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 Share, shared uh, tough existence in that yeah, and relationships. Yeah. Misery loves something. Yeah. Don't be mad. You're pretty tall, right? How tall are you? Six one. All right. So you're, you're, you're tall enough that you could have considered basketball. Here's my theory on why Northern Jersey has such a big, big uh, wrestling culture. My wife's Italian. Uh, she's not a tall woman. Most Italians that I've met are fairly short. There are lots of Italian Americans in Northern Jersey. They end up wrestling. <laughs> my theory. I, I, I like that theory, you know, because I, I do know a lot of Italians in Northern Jersey that wrestle, as you mentioned. That. <laughs> a lot of them are oh. playing basketball. Yeah, all, all, a bunch of names just popped in my head, you know, Italian names, and I'm like, yeah. Well, the right. same thing you get with German, a lot of Germans as well. You know, they're usually on the shorter side. You know, well, Europeans in general are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and lot, lots of first-generation people in northern Jersey too, second generation, that kind of thing. All right, Sharon would uh, kill me if I uh, don't say this. You mentioned her uh, sort of talking about being – being a wrestler, what what are your other memories from uh, your time with Sharon living in Jersey? Because Sharon was out of the house when you were in what fifth or sixth grade? No, she didn't move out. She moved out, I think, when I was in eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. Uh, no, yeah, because I think she was. I think she lived there for like another year or two out of high school. I don't, you know, but maybe she moved out and then moved back. I don't. I don't remember exactly, but. Um, so I was well known as her shadow when I was a kid mm. and anytime we went to visit, I would always follow her around everywhere and drive her absolutely nuts. And, um, and then as I got older, um, I became a pain in the ass another way and just, you know, made her life miserable, you know, <laughs> in, in that sense. Um, especially when I took her room, she ended up moving in with her sister my mom and sister shared a room in the basement, and then my aunt had her own room, and then I had my own room. I'm sure she wasn't happy with that either. 
what what was it about Sharon that it sounds like she was kind of a, a big sister for a period of time? Yeah, you know, she was just always fun. You know, I just um, she was also the closest in age out of the two of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and majority of my cousins are a lot older than me, so I only have a handful that are around my age. Um, some of my cousins are 20, 25 years older than me. So uh, my mom was the youngest of seven. And then, um, so I have one cousin that's a year young. I'm the third youngest out of, I think, I think there's about like 22 of us or 24 of us. Well, I don't know how many left. I've lost five, six of my cousins or so. So, uh, you, let's go back to you were in, you being in therapy in seventh and eighth grade. Why did it start or how did it come about where you ended up being in therapy and then why did it stop? Um, I kept getting in trouble in school and and, uh, and uh, my guess is, is the school was like, hey, you know, this kid needs therapy or something, you know, and, and I was getting detentions on a regular basis. Um, and so I think that's what happened. You know, I know my mom felt like her hands were tied. You know, there's not much. And at that point in time, I was really out of control. Um, and then why it stopped, I think it stopped when the therapist tried to hold my mom accountable for things. Mm. And, and I, I, I kind of remember one of the last times being in there was with my mom and sister. And the therapist kind of, you know, holding her to the fire. And, and my assumption would probably be that my mom, you know, had none of that. And it was like, you know, we're done. At the same time, I'd, I'd been trying to get out of there forever. I, I absolutely hated it. I, I hated the idea of it. I, I hated, you know, I was scared to death that classmates would find out because every once in a while she'd have to take me out of school early for it. So I was always embarrassed about, you know, the idea that somebody might find out, somebody might know, somebody Because that that's the other big part of my, my life is, is all the secrets in my family. Well, now I'm realizing the secrets in my family, but just the secrets everywhere, you know, and, and that... I never, you know, heck, most people didn't know that I didn't have a dad. And then, you know, and the people that didn't, that didn't know that I didn't have a dad, they didn't know that, he, you know, he committed suicide. And I kept all those, you know, big secrets really tight to me. Yes, Rich, I, I don't know where to go next. Uh, the stigma of seeking help for, for your mental health. I, I think it, it's not as big as it was back when you and I were growing up. Um, yes, yeah, so let's go there. I, I have friends my generation, I'm, I'm 54, guys I went to school with, guys I, I knew growing up. You, you don't talk about mental health because it, it's a, it's not only a stigma for you, it's a stigma for your family. And so your family, oh, yeah. certain generations, my generation and older generations said that's you just don't seek help because you don't want to put that sort of thing on your family. And it's absolutely the worst way to, to uh, think about uh, getting help. And so you, you've kind of lived this trajectory of you actually got it, got some help in theory, you were getting some help in seventh and eighth grade. Um, I would argue that the fact that your first therapist was blaming your dad for everything did not help you. Um, and I, I'll be honest, you know, I don't know if that's how, how it went and, you know, and not to correct you, you know, I just want to correct myself, I guess. But that's just how I remember it. I remember her, you know, grabbing the pillow and saying, imagine that's your dad. And she wanted me to punch the pillow. 
And then my assumption is that probably very soon after that, I'm, I'm guessing she had a bigger, a bigger plan. You know, she was planning on seeing me for much longer. And I, and I have a feeling maybe, you know, maybe I said something about that to my mom. She didn't like that. And, and then soon after that, I got pulled out of there. And that's all that I remembered is, it's all my dad's fault. Hate him. And, and that was the, the new program I had. And so then I w went off, you know, half cocked to tell the, you know, the rest of the world how big a coward my father was. Yeah. I, I hope that therapist had a bigger plan uh, because if that, <laughs> if that was it, that it's not very uh, useful. No, but you know, at the same, at the same time, it was also probably because I was so angry at everybody else. And, and I blamed God. I'm sure I blamed my mom. I blame, you know, I probably, I probably blamed my mom a lot for lying. I don't remember that, but maybe I did. I blame myself. I remember blaming the paramedics, you know, because they didn't get him there faster, you know, because he was supposedly alive when they got him. Yeah. So, so the arc of your life has kind of touched um, the, the culture of, Hey, therapy is only for the kids that are really misbehaving to a pretty open culture of, Hey, if you're in therapy, good for you. It's probably going to help you feel better, be better. Uh, and contribute to larger society in a, in a more powerful way. Uh, do you have memories of things changing for you where you felt like, hey, mental health is a really, really good thing, where before you may have thought, hey, this is kind of a waste of time? Back then or now? Both. So back then, the one thing that did help me with is I stopped getting a fight. So the last fight I've gotten, in, at, this fight I've gotten in, in out of anger was when I was 13 and that was right after therapy. And so I hadn't, I wasn't getting into fights anymore, but I'll be honest. I felt like that was because I was, I became more timid about the fights and, or maybe the anger, you know, but then especially with what you just said, it made me realize I never went, I went to therapy twice after that for uh, marriage counseling, uh, probably a couple years before my divorce. And, and, and my ex-wife was pushing for that. Maybe it was two years before that. And then I brought it up probably because I knew things were getting bad between my, my ex-wife and, and myself. And, and, and so I brought it up um, probably about a, a, a month. We, well, we went again uh, about a month before she asked for the divorce. And, uh, and so, like I said, I, I went to, to two sessions those two times. And I never went to therapy, you know, again. And, and I, I've been... I remember my mom telling me I needed to, and I kept saying I wanted to. I finally went to therapy a little bit um, after um, my job was, was threatening to fire me. And, and, and again, at that point in time, I kind of knew it, but my concerns were, again, people finding out, you know, me not finding the right therapist, me having this argument with myself on whether or not I actually needed the help, if I had this, you know, all figured out. And, and then, you know, couple years later, I ended up going to rehab. And, and, and honestly, that was, you know, June 9th, four years ago, I went to rehab. And, and, and that was one of the greatest turning points in my life. And you were getting mental health therapy as part of that? Uh, through the rehab? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a, a 45-D rehab. I talked, you know, we had a counselor. I talked to my counselor two or three times a week, you know, therapist once or twice a week. And, then you know, just talking about all that, you know, Basically, that's all rehab was, was in a sense, was, you know, 45 days of therapy. We went to the gym four days a week. We did yoga twice a week, you know, three times a week. Um, you know, even art therapy and things of that nature. And, and 
very beneficial. Okay, so you're you're a huge fan of of uh, therapy generally these days. It sounds like. Oh yeah, well, you know, I, I I believe mental health is 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 what's destroying this. You know, the world. I, I believe our mental health and our minds is what caused disease, disability, sickness, illness, and, and everything else. And, and mind you, I think it's also many other things such as um, the food the food choices that we make and and the people we hang around with. But again, I think it all comes back to mental health. If, if we're in a, in a, you know, a good state mentally, if our, our mind is, is strong and, and we're healthy mentally, I don't think we make the choices that we would make such as eating McDonald's on a regular basis or smoking a pack of cigarettes, you know, or drinking a six pack or a 12 pack every day or, or being around negative people and a negative job and, 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 and things of that nature and, and so you, you start unpacking those things and, and really working on your mental health and I think all those you know ailments that you might have start disappearing and they have for you right oh without a doubt when yeah. I, I you know uh four years ago I was 305 pounds which is about 105 pounds heavier than I am now I had arthritis in my shoulder and my knee I had all you know all kinds of range of motion I bending bending over to tie my shoe I, I would I'd be it would it would wear me out. It would tire me. So I, I I stopped. I started wearing sandals so I didn't have to tie my shoes because um, I looked like I was six months pregnant most of the time. I had all kinds of back issues and back problems. I I've been a couple months later got Lyme disease. Obviously, as we talked about, I had depression, anxiety, all kinds of issues there, and then uh, severe addiction to pills, where I was taking about thirty five milligrams a day or six to eight oxy's laced with fentanyl. Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of those in the uh, subsequent episodes. All right, let, let, I'm an Army guy. You're a Marine, former former Marine. W- when did you first have an interest in serving the military and then specifically the Marine Corps? Uh, 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 good question. Um, my friend Jason was the one who he joined the Marine Corps. He actually lives out here in Oceanside now. And uh, he, I think, put uh, planted the seed in my head. I was trying to go to colleges to wrestle. Uh, I, I, you know, I had gotten some letters from Division Three schools and stuff like that, and I, I'd reached out to a couple as well. But I didn't know anything about financial aid or scholarships or things of that nature. I, I, I knew financially, I, I, you know, my mom wouldn't be able to afford it. I didn't know about loans. It just, it all sounded very scary to me. And, and, and then the military idea came up and, and my dad was in the Navy. And at that point in time, I still hated him. So there was no way I was going into the Navy um, just because of him, even though I went to the Marine Corps, which is the Department of the Navy. But maybe that was my way of, you know, telling him to, you know, F off or something. But uh, I, the Army and, and the, the Marine Corps were the only two choices in my mind that I had. And I went to the Marine Corps because I, because I felt like it was the hardest, their, their boot camp. And that was all I wanted to do was a boot camp. Um, but then I, you know, started getting my expectations, you know, kind of tangled. So I, I wanted just to go to boot camp, but then they're like, okay, we'll go to the reserves. And I'm like, well, I want to be an MP. They're like, well, we don't really have many MP positions in the reserves. So you might not get that and, or you might get stationed. And so I, I decided to go to active duty. Well, cause I also want a canine and they're like, well, you know, there's no way you're going to get canine reserves. So, so that's why I just decided to go back to duty and, and, and went that, that route. 
All right. Um, it sounds like you wanted to put yourself through tough things. Not that the Air Force and Navy and the Coast Guard, Coast Guard, they, they've got some jobs that are pretty tough. The, yes, the Navy has SEALs. Uh, the, the Air Force has para-jumpers. So there are some hard jobs. And they, ha- and they have law enforcement across all those branches as well. Um, but boot camp, I think, I, I, as an Army guy, I can't say Marine Corps boot camp's harder. Uh, but it, it, I don't want to admit this on recording, so I won't say the words. But, uh, yeah, Army and Marine Corps are the top two. I mean, look, I'll, I'll take a quick shot at the Navy, not the Department of the Navy. There, there's, I think the first uh, stress card that they would give out, I don't know, it was, did, you didn't have stress cards when you went through, right? You're too old for that. No. Uh, the Marine Corps wouldn't allow them either. The, the Navy, they were the first ones to introduce a stress card. And so if you were feeling stressed, you just had to show your green or pink or whatever color card it was, and you got like a timeout. Not so I'd heard rumors that, you know, and I've never actually seen it, but I've never actually seen it either, but I, my uh, brother-in-law is a, is a Navy guy, so I I like to believe it uh, wholeheartedly. All right, so what was it about? So you said you had a, a, a male figure in your life that influenced you into being a, a police officer or eventually being a police officer, uh, and so you became one when you decided to go active duty in the Marine Corps. Uh, what is it about the allure of law enforcement for you? I mean, what, what attracted you to it? Um many things uh you know obviously you know as we already talked about the strength aspect and 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 you know but then at the same time being able to help people because that was the other thing with this strength i i went back and forth between being a bully and 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 helping stop bullying and 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 even when i was bullying somebody you know it it wasn't that wasn't my intention or, or at least i didn't think it was um, but I don't know if any bully's intention is to bully people. Um, but yeah, it was to help people. Uh, it was to, 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 I, I guess maybe to a certain degree to give back, but again, probably, you know, the strength and, and, and the masculinity aspect. Um, cause that's the other thing I, I realized as I was growing up, I, I grew up in, like I said before, a lot of fear. I, I, and I never really realized this until I was unpacking a lot of things over the last couple of years. Because these last couple of years, I've been on this journey to, to, to figure out who I am and, and, and my, you know, true purpose and what I'm supposed to, you know, where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. And But growing up, I used to watch horror movies all the time, action movies, violent movies, play, you know, the, and I remember sixth, seventh grade, uh, one of the morning going downstairs to make sure the doors were locked and, and, and looking out the window. And, and, and maybe it was because I was the only male in the family and everybody's women, I, you know or the programming from all these movies from Hollywood and things of that nature. But I, I just was always had this fear that somebody was going to break in or something was going to happen or, and, and, and so, you know, I'm sure that played a big part of it as well. Yeah. So there's strength in being a law enforcement officer. There's certainly an aspect to you're there to support uh, and protect the community. And then um, protecting um, doesn't come naturally for, for a lot of people, but it sounds like, it came naturally for you and you had some influence from uh, Hollywood maybe. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, that's a great word protection. And maybe that's what it was. I was trying to protect myself and my family. And that's why, you know, I, I think I was in fifth grade or sixth grade. And when I got my first fence set and, and a heavy bag and, and started doing stuff in, in my garage to get lift and get stronger and, and, you know, martial arts, I, I started Taekwondo, I think in fifth or sixth grade. 
but I've been watching Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and Dolph Lundgren and Van Damme and, and Steven Seagal and, you know, Kung Fu movies and all that stuff probably since, you know, second, third, you know, heck, probably in first grade. And so, again, that, that idea of protecting myself, my family, you know, became, and as I got into wrestling, wrestling brought me a lot more confidence, which gave me the confidence to, to, to do, you know, join the Marine Corps and then go into law enforcement. All right, you, you said some very famous uh, martial artist names. Uh, Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris. I think they fought in the movie Enter the Dragon. Who wins in real life? Did they ever fight in real life? No, no, I don't think so. Who, who wins in that, that match? I don't know. Um, they were both really, really good for, for guys that were in big movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're yeah, both tremendous. Um, Chuck, you know, actually competed at, at high levels. I don't think Bruce... Lee ever competed in competitions and so that I guess that would be the question is, is you know what kind of rules and, and, and regulations because um, that really changes things and obviously you know you have now the UFC uh, this day and age so that question and but that's also what brought the UFC around because that was a question that me and my friends always asked you know could you know what about Arnold Schwarzenegger versus Bruce Lee you know and Chuck Norris and and that was just <laughs> you know and so the UFC was you know almost every kid's dream to see the, the wrestler versus the boxer and the, and the, the Taekwondo guy versus the sumo wrestler. And, and Well, and that's the way it was when it started, right? You'd find some 450-pound guy going against a, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, and, yep. the, and the BJJ guy wins. Yeah. I mean, the world was stunned when Gracie won the uh, UFC one. Stunned. Oh, gosh. It changed, changed martial arts? Oh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu just took off. And it's still huge today. Oh God! Out here, there's, there's, you know, in, in San Diego County and Orange County, it seems to be the hub of, of, you know, mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu, You know, at least in the U.S., if not, you know, throughout the world. But the, you know, Oceanside probably has about thirty different jujitsu or, or you know mixed martial arts gyms, and they're That's everywhere. Yeah, they, they are everywhere. It sounds like. All right, so let's go back to you. You wanted to be a law enforcement officer uh, in the Marine Corps, and specifically, you wanted to be a canine guy. Did you just have a love of dogs your entire life? I did. Yeah, I, you know, I had a dog when I when I was you know born, and then uh, I, I don't know if they sparkles. He was Dalmatian. He was, I guess a bit crazy. Um, I don't know if they gave him away or passed. You know, and then when I was four, I got my dog Champ, and I had him from four till I was eighteen, and and, and that's something I really didn't really recognized till probably about a year ago that was my best friend yeah he was there with me and, and he died when i was in japan and it was my first duty station and i really think that he died from from you know a broken heart in a sense and i went to boot camp when i came back all of a sudden that's you know when his his health started going his his mental health mostly and i think you know I, my my theory is that he was so used to me being there to take, you know, I'm sure my mom fed him and, and let him out, but I, I would take him and go, you know, you know, for runs and, and throw the ball with him. And things, you know, so, um, so yeah, you know, I, I had him my entire life and he, he was there with me when we traveled, um, you know, always all of our road trips. Uh, so he was my absolute best friend. I, and I trained him quite a bit. So well, not quite a bit, a decent amount. And then I worked for a vet uh, because my junior year in high school, for a couple months. And so, yeah, I've always loved animals. I, I used to 
find animals, collect animals, try to buy a lizard, snake, turtles, you know, anything I could find, get fish. So you're a real animal guy and you're like, hey, what's better than being a Marine Corps and being a canine guy? How many uh, dogs did you have while you were in? Uh, so when I was in the Marine Corps, I had two dogs. And then when I was a cop later, I had five dogs. And you have fond memories of all seven of them, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, definitely. Were they all? They weren't all German shepherds, were they? No, uh, Belgian Malinois and uh, and German shepherds. So tell me, I can't say Mal. Is it Malinois? Malinois. Okay. Yeah. They're incredible. They're unbelievable. Oh gosh, yeah. Their energy level through the roof. And 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 everyone you had, they were. Uh, well trained, and, and you never had any issues with them. Oh, always had issues. <laughs> um, you know, they, they one of the problems with the dogs I worked with, they'd all been uh handled by several handlers before. You know, in the Marine Corps, the two dogs I had had been handled probably by six, seven, eight different other handlers by the time I, I'd gotten them. And then the same thing when I was a cop, um, I was a cop, a, a federal cop for the Department of Defense on a Marine Corps base. And so those were uh, Marine, Marine Corps um, dogs. So same thing. Every dog I got, you know, was working with had two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten handlers before me. And so I have to, you know, kind of work through all those issues. But you were telling me a few weeks ago about what those Malamars can do. Um, climbing is a thing that they do. Oh yeah, well we were talking about the videos of, of them climbing trees and, and and houses and things like that it just their drive, their prey drive is just so strong that there's not many obstacles that you can put in front of them that will even slow them down. Never mind stop them. My running joke was, at least my one dog Orlando, if you would have thrown a Kong or a ball across the freeway, a ten lane freeway. I don't think he would even look either which way before he went and got it. And, and I've, I've watched him do that with other things, you know, um, where he was, you know, so, so focused on doing bite work when we were doing training. Somebody threw a ball out at him. He jumped up, caught the ball, kept the ball, and then right before getting the bite on the decoy, put the ball out and then got the bite. And it, I, I, I just remember being, like, in awe of this. And, and I was just like, but – yeah, he, he had uh, all four of his canines had been capped with titanium. And then by the time I got him, he was four years old. He only had two left. So he had his top two canines. And he still bit harder than any other you know dog in, in our kennels. And then while I had him, he lost another tooth, another canine. So he's down to one and still bit harder than most of our dogs. Is it how they're raised or how they've been bred over generations that make them like that? Probably a little bit both. You know, from what I understand, the Germans created him, the Belgian Malinois, back in the 40s, 50s, uh, with a combination of German Shepherd, uh, Doberman Pinscher, you know, things of that nature, to try to create the perfect military police law enforcement dog. Right on. Right, you mentioned your first – well, uh, let me back up. What's, what's your most uh, stark memory, like just etched in your brain about boot camp from the Marine Corps? Boot camp? Ooh. Yeah. Um, are we talking about good memories, pot, you know, or just any? Actually, give me give me one of both. 
Oh, gosh. Um, or your choice, Rich, either way. Um, okay, so uh, so I, I got one of the drill instructors in trouble. Uh, I was on Firewatch, and I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I'd seen one of our drill instructors there in civilian clothes, and he was kind of acting a little bit weird, hiding behind the – it was probably like 10 o'clock at night, and he was high, kind of walking behind the, the bed or the, 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 you know, the, the rack. And all of a sudden I hear a, a, a loud bump, and so I kind of run over there, and I see – the guy um, whose bed is next to mine laying on the floor with his mattress on top of him and his clothes and everything that was all neatly put on his footlocker, all big mess in the front. And I was like, Oh, you know, and I um, like, what's going on? And I try to wake him up and I'm trying to get him back in there. And here comes the drill instructor. He, Who's this nasty pig, blah, 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 clean this up and starts yelling at him. So mind you, I don't know this, but that same drill instructor had been threatening you know, nightmares, you know? And, and so I assumed that he flipped him out of the rack. And, and maybe he didn't, I don't know. But that's what I told that guy, um, you know, and his name was Dingle. And so I, I told him that and I said, hey, I said, how was your nightmare? And I was just kind of joking around it and he didn't know what I was talking about. He, he didn't remember any of it. And then from what I gather, he then told the senior drill instructor and then, and an investigation kind of came up and they called me in the office. And the next thing you know, that drill instructor was gone for three weeks. And then, you know, I, I remember him coming back and it was probably about a week or two before boot camp's over and him just be, walking up and down the line and just, you know, Hey, what have you done? You know, uh, nothing, sir, exactly. Get in the back and, and just was picking people out to, to take them to the, uh, to the sand pit to make them do push-ups and things of that nature. And, I remember him coming up to me and said, oh, recruit Dalton. Want to get the drill instructor in trouble, huh? I said, no, sir. Oh, good. You want to argue? I said, no, sir. Not arguing. Or, you know, oh, and then he turns to your guy next to him. Is he arguing? Yes, sir. Oh, good. Get in the back. And I, I just went in the back with a big smile on my face. And I just remember it being outside there. Um, and we were doing push-ups and jumping jacks in the stand. And I, and, I, and I knew that we had like a week left. And I was in great physical shape at this point in time. So I, I knew I could have done that forever. Um, you know, and I knew what it was about. So I, I, I just remember, it, you know, it just being a you know, real good time. Uh, by the way, the, the, I know why the, the Army and Marine Corps do it. But Firewatch is one of the dumbest concepts ever. You, you have to have a standing guard awake. I, we did hour-long shifts. I don't know if you were doing an hour or two hours. Uh, it was just to make you more tired, just to stress you out to see if you could handle it. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I absolutely hated it, but, you know, I definitely see why they did it. The, the building wasn't going to burn down, but let, they called it fire watch. Oh, so yeah. you awake if the building spontaneously combusted. Oh, man. All right, so you mentioned your first duty station was uh, Okinawa. Did you enjoy that tour? Was that cool to uh, experience a different culture, or did you not really experience the culture because you were working all the time? Um, I'm going to go with option three, which is I didn't enjoy it and, um, because of my mindset. I, I was just still very angry. Um, I, I got to enjoy some things. I, I had some memory, you know, but for the most part, I stayed in my room, and, and I was, uh, we had just gotten internet access over there, so this is 97, 98. And so I remember spending a lot of time on there, you know, or going to the gym. 
Um, I went scuba, or excuse me, snorkeling once. Uh, Could have gotten scuba, you know, certified and, and, and been able to go in, in one of the probably best spots, you know, throughout the world. But I just, yeah, I, I, I didn't get to do as much as I would have liked to have done. Um, you know, the person I am now, but back then again, I, I was a bit introverted and, and so yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, it's a good experience though. And I'm, and I'm, I'm very happy to say I won. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, there's some saying about uh, awesome things are wasted on the young. Like you were what, 19 years old and you were in 19. Japan. The, the 46 year old version of you would have completely played that different. Right. Oh gosh. You were that young. I was mad because that was the duty station I wanted. That was the last place, I, I, you know, I wanted the East Coast. So I definitely didn't want to be over there. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, from what I understand, like an hour or two flight to Australia as well as, the to- you know, and, and I was wanting to take advantage of those things and I didn't. And there, there was just a lot of opportunities that I wanted to take advantage of and I just, again, was afraid to pull the trigger, especially on my own. Yeah, I mean, I think that's natural uh, to have some level of fear. It's healthy, but it sounds like you had an unhealthy level of fear for a lot of your your early life anyway, and it sounds like that manifested later in life too a bit. But you don't live in fear now, right? No. Yeah, that's cool. All right, and then you ended up – you wanted the East Coast originally. You come back from uh, Japan, and your next duty station is where? San Diego. Now, Rich, you have to say – even if you were introverted and fearful, San Diego, it's expensive. But besides the fact that it's expensive, the weather's unbelievable. Uh, everything just kind of, it makes me happy to be in an environment like that. It's never too hot, never too cold. You, you don't experience these hurricanes or tornadoes. I mean, you were in, you were in an awesome part of the world. Uh, I, I can't complain. Uh I got out of here in 98 and, and haven't left. I, I moved back to Jersey for a year right after 9-11, um, but then came back out here. And so, I, you know, for the most part, been out here since 98. And, and you're right, the weather is absolutely amazing. Uh, this year we had a, an off winter. It was, it was much more cold, um, but it was very beneficial for me and with what I was doing in my life. And so I'm happy for that. But um, – yeah, there's just so much to do out here. The weather is just great. You know, for example, I was up in the mountains yesterday and, and or last two days and then um, even this morning and then got back this morning and, then, you know, went and jumped in the ocean. And there's not many other places you can do that. No, they're not. Uh, you say it was colder than normal winter. How cold did it get? Um, we had quite a few days of, of, of high 30s, low 40s. Um, That's extremely and, unusual. And raining. Yeah, on a, on a regular basis too, um, and, and that was the the year I decided to start kind of diving into this cold weather exposure. So I was walking around in, in a tank top and shorts, you know, all the time. And and there's, I'll be honest, there's many times I didn't want to. Yeah, there's many times I, I, I you know, I I'd run to my car, put the heat on, you know, where I was going to an event to, you know, but it, it got to the point where people expected me to be wearing that and and. I also knew that I knew how to warm myself up, you know, by doing breath work and, and, and my mindset. And so it was a way to push myself and challenge myself. 
Was was there any chance you were going to be a lifer in the Marine Corps? It crossed my mind um, because, again, I was looking at, at hard things. And so the Army, one thing I liked about the Army was all the different special operations because that was what I was really interested in, you know, possibly Navy SEAL. I didn't know about the uh, the, the power jumpers at the time. Um, I didn't know about them until I went to canine school and then I saw them training and I was like, oh, wow, they are impressive. And um, so the Army, one of my concerns was, what if I go in the army and I, you know, like I wanted to be, you know, Delta force or Ranger or things of that nature. Same thing with the Marine Corps special ops there, you know, at the time they only had uh, recon and, and force recon. And so those things all interested me, but, but what I understood was you had to go to, uh, you had to be infantry to, to do those things. And, and I, and I just kept thinking again, fear, what if I get injured? What if this happens? And then I get stuck with just an infantryman and I don't have any, Real job experience, and so that's why I just want the MP field in that sense. Yeah, I, I met a guy uh, last week, and we we had to put this presentation together. And I'm like, who wants to to moderate? Who wants to take notes? And then who wants to present uh, our our answer to the problem? And he said, I, I'll I'll do all of it. I'm going to lean into all of this. And I'm like, I, man, what if everybody had that attitude? The world, I think, would be a much better place. Oh wow, yeah. And I, and I think everybody's mental health would, would be in a better place. I agree. I agree. Because, I, I mean, this is our second conversation, but you're living testament to the fact that fear uh, is usually not a good thing. No. You know, I, and I've heard the story from friends and from influencers, you know, to use the fear in the proper way. That's where I disagree. I, I think there's basically two things. And, and we can use – all kinds of different words to describe them. But, you know, the two, you know, you want to call it negative and positive. I like to call it fear and love, you know, fear, you know, with fear comes anger and rage and, 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 you know, concern and and, and worries and stress and all that. Whereas love, you know, you can obviously throw a bunch of descriptions on there as well. But I think when you're living in love, there's no room for anything else. There's no room, you know, and that's something I didn't know. I didn't know love. I didn't, I don't, I don't remember. I'm, I don't remember being held. I don't remember being hugged, you know, by my mom. I don't remember sitting on her lap. I don't have any memories of those. I don't have any memories of my grandmother holding me or hugging me um, and, and just being held or things of that nature. And, 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 and now I'm trying to understand love. And, 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 and again, I be- truly believe that when you're living in love with yourself, because I think that's where it all starts from. If, if we don't love ourselves, who, you know, who else? And that's what I did. I was asking everybody else or everything else to love me because I didn't know how to love myself. And so that was one of the, you know, the biggest things that, you know, started helping me to on my road to recovery is loving myself and loving who I am right now and, and realizing that there's things that I might want to change and I can work on that, but it's going to you know, take time and I need to continue to work on it, but just loving myself, loving everybody around me and, and, and everything around me has, has helped me tremendously. Well, uh, I can't think of a better uh, way to end this episode. Rich, this is the first time I've done this. I've never said, hey, before we started, I'm thinking about three or four episodes. Uh, and so we've come to the end of what I'm calling episode one. Uh, you got to love yourself is a uh, great theme to end on. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about. You were a police officer after you left the Marine Corps. You've had Lyme disease. You've been homeless. You've been addicted uh, to lots of things. Uh, and you've learned how to get to a place of recovery. And you told me when we spoke that, hey, you're never going to be sick 
another day in your life. It's, it's, it's almost like you, your journey has led you to figure out some things that 99.9% of humanity won't ever experience. And, and, and like I told you when we talked on the phone, I, I can't say that I won't ever be sick. You know, I, I don't you know, know that for, you know, for certain. Um, but I have, you know, again, coming from sickness ailments, I, I had stomach problems probably since fifth or sixth grade on a regular basis. I remember constantly asking to stay out of school, constantly having stomach problems. And I really believe that is from stress and trauma, from holding our breath and, 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 and constantly being in that fight or flight state. And, and that was a, a huge problem with, with, with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you think Sharon would enjoy listening to what we just talked about? I, I think so. I think so. And, and then another part of my story that I haven't told you, and then I, you know, uh, even after my recovery, I, I then worked, worked private security for underground poker games where I was a drug dealer. You know, I didn't call myself a drug dealer, but that's what I was. And I was also kind of a pimp. <laughs> All right, so we're definitely ha- having at least one prep so to talk about you being a pimp. Oh my and god, that, that that ended. Um, that's what helped me move down here because the last day I was up there, we had a home invasion where three guys came out of guns, and, and there's rumors that they were looking for me or or. Yeah, we're we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in episode two or three. Sounds good. <laughs> If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.